Welcome to Faith is Not Blind. I'm Sarah Devonier, and I'm here with Nita Newswander. And Nita, will you please give us a little bit of your educational and professional background? I'd like you to start there. Okay. All right. Um, my educational background, I have a, um, a bachelor's degree in English from BYU. And after that, I went to Virginia Tech and I have master's degrees in English and political science and a PhD in political science from there as well. Um, and since that time, um, I got my PhD in 2009. I've been teaching mostly part-time adjuncting and lecturing as much as I can um, while raising three young kids. Yeah. So education is obviously really important to you. Where did that desire to be educated to get an advanced degree, where do you think that came from? It's interesting because it wasn't always, I get asked this often because it's, it's kind of unusual in, in certain circles for a stay-at-home mom to have a PhD. Yeah. Um, so I never set out to be, to be a professor. I don't know that that's something, maybe some people aspire to it, but for me it wasn't. But I always, I grew up in a big family and you've got to find your own niche, right? If you want to win yeah, your parents how, over. Describe how big your family is. Give, give people some more details. I'm 12 of 18 in my family. So even by, even by cultural standards, it's right. pretty big. And, um, y there are a lot of other things that come along with that as well. But, you know, you want to try to stand out among the crowd. And so my thing was I worked really hard at school. And, um, and so I was also very ambitious. I became very ambitious. And I set off to BYU. It was the only college I applied to because I knew I was going to get in and I didn't want to go anywhere else. And I was very focused. I was studying broadcast journalism. I wanted to be a news anchor. That was my, my dream because someone once had told me I was good at public speaking and I believed them. And, um, and so that's what I thought I would do. I'd be on TV in front of people talking the news and I would sound important and get respected or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, and that was all really good until my sophomore year, um, fall of my sophomore year, I met Chad, who's now my husband, and um, we were both in communications. That's how we met. We were writing for the Daily Universe together, um, which was a lot of fun. But classes started to get harder and more technical, kind of some of the behind the scenes camera work that I wasn't interested in. And I realized that we started talking about marriage and I was like, well, why even bother with these hard classes. Hmm. Um, it's not even worth it. The example that I had seen is that um, people who I wanted to be like went to school and found a husband and then never finished their degrees. So one night Chad and I were out on a date and we weren't even engaged yet, but I told him, I don't think we were engaged yet, but I told him, I'm, I think I'm going to drop out of school after the semester. And he, bless his heart, um, said no. And there are very few times when he's been forceful with me like that. But this was one of them. He said, he just said, no, you're not going to drop out. Um, so I changed my major um, because English is something that I loved anyway. And I could, um, I thought, you know, maybe it's not as practical as broadcast journalism, but who's going to use that anyway? So I knew I would enjoy it and I finished up that way. Um, and then we, we graduated together and we went off to Virginia for my husband to pursue a master's degree. And we thought this will be 18 months um, and then we'll be done and figure out the next step. So we went to Virginia and I started out as a secretary there on campus working full time supporting him. 
Um, graduate tuition is very expensive, by the way. You can't support somebody as a secretary. As a secretary, yeah. Um, but pretty soon I, I got bored and I saw he was learning things and I was actually really jealous of him. So I found out that I could take courses for free um, at, because I was a full-time employee. And so I started doing that and I just took a couple of English classes because I thought this is something that I like already. I'll just enrich myself and we'll just see how far it goes. Um, eventually I earned my master's degree in English and I thought, well, now I'll, Chad decided to stay for a PhD. I thought, I'll look for a better job, maybe one that can actually pay more money, and realized, of course, that that, that wasn't going to happen. We were staying in Blacksburg, and there, there were not a lot of opportunities. And that's when I started thinking about um, a PhD for myself. And they were starting a new program there. Um, it, it was, um, it's called ASPECT, the Alliance for Social, Political, Ethical, and Cultural Thought. And I thought, this sounds really interesting, all of these things combined. So um, I had to have a background in political science to get there, and that's kind of where I went. I, I quit my job and started going to school full time, and eventually I realized it was always just, just for me to do something while he was still in school. And then there came a turning point where I thought, well, maybe I'll do this myself. And I did the math, and I figured, maybe I can get my PhD the same <laughs> time he's getting his, and we won't, you know, because I wasn't going to ask him to upend his life to support me, but maybe we could do it together. And so that's how it went. It, it was nothing I set out to do. Um, we had some, some problems with infertility in the early years of our marriage, and, and I kind of told myself, I'll go to school until we have a baby. And I graduated, and I was pregnant with my first daughter. So it, things worked out really, yeah. really perfectly that way. But it's not anything that I aspired to or would have planned, but I'm so, so glad. And when you talk of being number 12 of 18 kids, mm -hmm. How does the way your life turned out and the value pl you placed on education, how did that contrast with the way that you were raised, especially with the expectation that maybe you had on yourself, like you said, as uh, an LDS woman? Yeah, very good. So my, my dad was, is educated. He's a retired physician. He's a doctor. And um, he, I always thought my parents were just the smartest people ever when I was growing up. We would watch that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, like when I was in high school, and I thought my phone of friends would be my mom and my dad and maybe somebody else, right? But they, I just thought that, that they were super smart. And um, they valued education, and like I said, everybody's gotta find a way to fit into a big family, and, and that kind of achievement was, was my way. Um, however, there were some other things. My mom had been a nurse um, before she married my dad, and she, she wasn't working at the time that she met him, but my dad always proudly said that no wife of his was ever gonna work. So he was the provider and my mom's job, well, there were 18 of us, so. That's, that's three jobs at least. I don't blame her right? for not working at all. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I've got three and that's more than full time. Um, but that, that's the example that I saw, that the man was the provider and my dad did work a lot, sometimes a lot of overtime to provide for us. And my mom's job was, was strictly in the home. And I didn't have any problem with it. It looked, it looked nice. Yeah. It, it, Chad thought he wanted to be a stay-at-home dad until he, we had kids and he realized <laughs> what it would be like. It looks yeah. nice from the outside, yeah. It's hard work. So with all of this and your place in your family, what was your relationship like with God and with the church, how did how did that fit in? Because you talk about your educational goals and mm -hmm. 
how did your relationship with the church and God fit into that? Yeah. And did it, did it change when your plans changed? Yeah, I think definitely. And I think that's one of the turning points for me. Sometimes I get sad because people, it seems like everybody has a story about where their testimony came from. Like they can pinpoint like, this is, you know, where did, how did you gain your testimony? And they can say this, or maybe a series of a few things. Right. And me, I don't feel, I feel really bad saying, I, I don't know that I have a foundational moment like that. But when it comes to this change in perspective, I know exactly when it happened. And it was while I was away um, in graduate school, because I had been at BYU and I had, been li- I had lived at home and then I went to BYU and those were pretty sheltered places. And then we went all the way across the country. We didn't know anybody. Um, graduate school is its whole mind opening thing. Plus we're making all of these new social relationships and stuff for the first time. And um, I really had to kind of figure out for myself what I wanted and how it worked together. So once I started going to school in earnest, I felt a lot of tension and it was coming at me from all sides. So people at church, the men would ask me, why? Why are you going to school? Why are you doing this? And um, the question was so absurd, I just had no answer. I don't know if they felt like I was taking a man's place away or if I was doing it just to enrich myself, maybe because I would be a better mother if I was educated. Um, And then all the time, all the time we were asked, when are you having kids? When are you gonna have kids? Which must have been so painful. Uh, yeah, well, you, you can't explain your story to everybody well, all of the time. Well, and they're not entitled to your story. It's true. It's true. And every time, um, and I'm sure you can relate to this, but when you meet people as a couple, they'll turn to the man and say, well, and we were students, and so they would turn to him and say, what are you studying? And then have a conversation and, and be, be really interested in what he's studying. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there. Chad was generally pretty good at saying, oh, and my wife is also studying. <laughs> yeah. Um but it got, it got a little annoying. So I knew that there was tension there. And then on the other side, I knew that there were a lot of things I was learning in school that didn't jive with what I knew to be true. And so there was a point in time where I felt like I was talking out of both sides of, of my mouth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I could give the answers, I could live a certain, my life a certain way, but I could go to class and I could give the answers that my professor wanted to hear and I could write the papers about um, whatever, you know? and. Um, and pass with flying colors, but not be that person in reality. And um, once I was at a conference, attending a conference, presenting an academic paper, and I was on a panel with other graduate students, and somebody in the audience asked us a question, and the question was, what is truth? Now, my dad is totally missionary-minded. If somebody in a public place had asked him that question, he would have been ready with (laughs) with his answer, with scripture references and all sorts of things. But me, I had this moment, and that's exactly where it shifted for me. And I thought, I know exactly what the people here are expecting me to say, or what would be a good answer for here. Um, But I also know what I believe to be true. And I thought about that experience for a long time afterwards, and I decided that I never wanted to feel that disconnect between my academic life and my spiritual life or my personal life ever again. And so um, I had to really make, um, find a reason to integrate the two of them, which is what I was able to do. Um, I had a great advisor who's probably the most liberal professor I've ever met, 
but he was very understanding and he helped me to structure a dissertation on a topic that allowed me to, to look at the church. Um, it was actually a, um, a historical and philosophical look at um, the interactions of the Jacksonian democracy <laughs> and the birth of the Church of Jesus Christ oh, wow, of Latter-day Saints. So it, it was a really awesome opportunity. I actually have a chapter. This is showing like how I, how I kind of progressed. I have a chapter on um, the biopolitics of certain, um, certain commandments that, that the church was practicing at that time. Um, I, I would never do a Foucauldian analysis of the church <laughs> at this point in my career, but at that time it made sense and it kind of helped me to bridge yeah. the gap between those things. But I never wanted to feel like I was lying that I wasn't being true to right. myself again. Well, and I think there are some people who in your position would say, I have a choice. I'm going to choose the academic life. Um, what made you decide you wanted to be true to that spiritual self, especially because you hadn't had some huge foundational experience, which yeah. again, this is a testament to the fact that maybe you don't need a huge experience to be able to make a huge decision that will lead you that way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the, the church was just who I was. And I think that comes from my parents as well. There is no one as faithful as my mother. There is no one as obedient as my father. And, and it, it just was always part of me. You know, I, so that had been a part of me for 20 something years. And I was learning this of course my loyalty was with what the rest of my life, the foundation of my life had been. And so I saw a way to fit the two together. And I knew that I couldn't be successful and that I wouldn't be happy because I would later on have to face the hurdles of, do I stay at home or do I work or how much do I pursue my career, etc. cetera. Um, there's no way that I could find that balance if I had left the other behind. Yeah. So what do you do when there's tension now because there will always be tension mm -hmm. um, how do you learn not only to appreciate the tension but to deal with it yeah well so this kind of tension or cognitive dissonance is it's central to an academic's life and perspective the way we see things and actually um, it, it's central to the way my household runs too my husband is a very um, he's got a great argumentative spirit, right? So he learns by, it's kind of like the Socratic method maybe, right? Arguing back and forth. Um, so I, when I see a problem, the academic training tells me, this is something that we can work through and find truth. There is something to be discovered here. And I, I am really blessed, um, I think, that I've been able to, to see. I really strongly believe that truth is truth, no matter where you find it, and that it will lead you back. So I think I'm not afraid of asking questions because truth will hold up. It will stand up to it, to questioning. It doesn't, um, it doesn't matter how far I search or how much I push. If it's true, it's going to stay. And so I'm not afraid of pushing the boundaries a little bit and learning some of the troublesome history or studying the philosophy that helps me to make more of it. Um, so that kind of tension, I think, yeah. just, just helps. There are some places where I ignore the tension, though, because I just can't handle it. So it's, it's not a perfect system, yeah. but, but it works mostly. And does that help you? I'm just, I just keep thinking of the G.K. Chesterton quote about optimists mm -hmm. and pessimists mm -hmm. and improvers. So sometimes you, you do have to 
sort of cling to your optimism in order to not yes. give in to pessimism. Yes. And it, that's, you know, optimism is interesting because I always saw myself as an optimistic person. And I think before I understood so much of the world, I was kind of a bright and bubbly optimist. Um, but that sounds a little bit uneducated, doesn't it, to say optimistic? But I think, um, so one thing, for example, there are two things that, uh, that I deal with differently that I don't love, right? So, so one would be polygamy, for instance. It's not my favorite doctrine in the church. Um, it's something that I've, I've looked at, but I haven't studied deeply or pushed, kind of because I don't want to. Yeah. Um, but then there's another, and I, I have faith to, to tell myself, you know, if I need to understand, then, then I can move to that step. But another issue is something like women and their place, their place in society, their place in the church, women in the priesthood, how the priesthood functions, those kind of things. And um, that I study and I learn about and I have a lot of interest in, but I haven't, I haven't found the answers and I haven't come to a perfect understanding. Yeah. But I feel, I feel good. I feel an assurance about everything that I know. Um, I, I feel an assurance that there are divinely, there are divine roles that we're supposed to fill and that men and women complement each other. And there are things that I believe very strongly and I felt an assurance about. And that gives me enough to know um, there are some of those questions that none of us can really answer yeah. right now. And I'm okay with that. Do you have an experience, a specific example where you found enough of an answer to keep going and what that felt like? I, I like hearing you talk about how you got your answers because a lot of them are very cerebral. Yeah. Um, is there a time where you got an answer where you thought, okay, th this can keep me going for now, even if I don't understand everything? Well, I think so, for example, a, a woman's place. This is very personal to me, and it is, it is, should be to everyone. Right, yeah. So, whether you're a man or a woman, it affects all of us. And there are a lot of different ways that I've, I've looked at it in the past. And sometimes it's very, um, like I'm looking for a self-serving answer, right? Like, am I justified in wanting to work and earn money? And it's not just because I'm serving people, because I do like the service part of being a professor. That's nice. But I do like the money, too. Like, I don't know that I would do it for free all the time. Um, and, and I like feeling important about myself. And I like feeling respected by people for my ideas. Um, so is it bad to want those things? And sometimes the questions I, I, I ask are, um, are born from other things. Like, I'll be at the temple and I'll, I'll think, there are some parts of how women and men interact in the temple that really that we don't talk about in other areas of the church or how the priesthood functions with women in the temple that we don't talk about in other places. And so that will lead me to questions that I'll look. One thing that's been nice, um, the answers just aren't there, right? I mean, I can, I can type in a Google search and say like women in the priesthood and I'll get page and page and page of whatever, but the answers aren't there. But I feel the assurance because things will happen like a few months ago um, there was a great section in the Enzyme, did you see, about, I don't even remember what it was called, but it, it talked about women in the priesthood, and it was phenomenal. And I told all my students you should look at it because 
so much of the research that I've done independently was, I think it was written by a BYU professor, was in there, um, but it was put together in a way that I hadn't been able to do myself. So I find these reassurances um, as, as, as they come and kind of gather them slowly as they come, I guess. I, and, and, and my husband helps me to be content, I think, with what I have. He's a, he's a long sufferer. I think, um, as far as my discontent at, at my, you know, wondering where my, what my role is in the world. Cause I feel like I've got things to say and share with people, but I also love my kids a heck of a lot. And, and I want to take care of them too. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was interesting that you talk about going to the temple where you say, yeah, I have these concerns. I don't have the answers, but I'm still going to the temple. Mm-hmm. What, what keeps you going to the temple and reading the ensign and and seeking for some you call them reassurances Mm -hmm. rather than expecting some big answer that will rectify everything yeah i've never had that big answer and that's the thing so it's so weird to but it sounds like maybe you don't need it but my life has been this constant trickle i think and i have i've never felt really I mean, sometimes I feel close to God and sometimes I feel a distance between us, right? But I've never felt a, a big disconnect as far as testimony goes. Yeah. And um, I, I'm odd in that way, I suppose. But, I, but it, it works for me. And so, um, so in the, the household I grew up with, let me just tell you, the foundational narrative of my family goes like this. Um, my mom is a con- was a convert uh, to the church, brand new convert. She was from England. She went to Australia. She ran into the sister missionaries there. She's in her young 20s, her early 20s, and makes friends with them and joins the church. Um, one of the sister missionaries is headed home at the end of her mission and asks my mom, come back to the U.S. with me. So she does. And she ends up in church when this, this sister is giving her homecoming talk. They're sitting in, in church in Heber, Utah. And into the congregation walks a recently widowed man with 11 children lined up beside him. And within the space of just about no time at all, really just a couple of weeks, they've decided to get, to get married. Um, my mom, who has never been in the U.S. before, has little experience in the church. And she's worked as a nanny. But having 11 children of your own is kind of a whole. She has no kids, right? So, so she's taking, ready to take all of this on. And it's all based on faith and these wonderful, huge spiritual experiences on both the part of my dad and my mom. And so that is kind of how our whole household was run. And I fully expected if I had prayed and God had spoken to me in answer, I don't think I would have been surprised as a child because that's just what I was taught, you know, like... God leads leads every step of the way. Um, I told you my mom is very faithful and my dad is very obedient. And so I was always ready for my big moment, always ready for my big moment. And I guess I could have been disillusioned when it didn't come. Maybe I'm still waiting for it to come, but I don't think I need that. Right. So what stopped you from being disillusioned? That's what I think is magnificent. You say it could have come. Yeah. But it didn't. And so this is how I dealt with it. Yeah. Maybe that's the optimist side of me, <laughs> I guess. Or the, or the improver side of you. Yeah, because I love it. 
because I love it and when it means so much to me. When you say you love it, what do you mean? Well, so this the quote from um, Chesterton that, that you talked about. So in, there are optimists and pessimists and improvers. And the difference between a pessimist and an improver is that an improver can see the flaws or shortcomings or see difficulty um, and, and try to, you know, still love anyway and try to improve the situation rather than throwing it all away. And, um, and I, I love the gospel and I love, I love all that it's done for my life. And not just the gospel, but also the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, as an organization, that's where my identity is. And so it wouldn't be, you know, for someone to say, um, why haven't you left because you haven't had a, a huge spiritual experience or because um, women aren't treated right or, you know, whatever has happened. To me, that would be like asking, why haven't you cut off your arm or something like that? You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's part of me. It's something that, that I need to function in a real way. And so um, there's never been, I've never had that complication, thankfully. There have been questions and there is, I think, a lot of nuance in my belief, but, yeah. but there's, not, there's not doubt and there has not often been any serious doubt. And I'm grateful for that. So when you talk to people in your family or friends who have had doubts and yeah. left, how do, how do you talk to them as an improver? Oh, it's so that you don't just dismiss the way that they're feeling. Yeah, it's difficult. So there are, I've got a big family, right? So, and my mom's a convert. So there are many members of my family who either were never members of the church or have decided to separate themselves from the church for whatever reason. And um, I've had some serious conversations just in the last few years with um, at two of my sisters. Sometimes people drift away and they don't want to talk about it. But two of my sisters I've been really close to and, and we've had conversations about it. And um, these two women, I have to tell you, are the best, the salt of the earth, best, kindest, most compassionate, charitable people in the world. And it's not because it's because of who they are. It's not because of the church or their relationship yeah. to it. And, um, and so I've had to reassure them of, of that my love for them is because of who they are and not because of what they choose to believe. But it is odd having those conversations because, well, and as an academic too, explaining your belief to people who don't really believe much of anything is really hard because it all just kind of sounds like mythical you know, we don't believe in fairy tales in academia. We, we like hard science or at least soft science, right? We, we like some kind of evidence and, and that's not the kind of evidence that, um, that we look for or we're taught to look for as members of the church. I had an interesting conversation with my sister who I'm very close to um, just recently and she asked me how, how I've stayed in the church or why I've never left. Years ago, I asked her why she left and we had a very good conversation. And she turned the tables just recently and asked me why I stayed. And it's, um, I had a hard time. I said, well, we, we had a whole conversation, but I said, let me get back to you on that. I want to think about it some. Um, I like that. Yeah, yeah. we don't have to have all the answers yeah. right now. But she, she gave me this beautiful image. She said, I feel like we're, we had a very beautiful conversation. She said, I feel like we're on either side of a fence, holding our hands up against each other and there's only so much we can know and understand, but we're here, we're here for each other. 
And that's how I feel with her. I love her with all my heart. And there are some, we've had different experiences and different ways that we've interpreted things uh, that change some of the patterns that we live in our lives right now. But there is so much more that we have in common than that. If I were to answer her question, I, the, the best way, that the most truthful, honest way I could answer is just to say that leaving never crossed my mind. It never did. That's why I stay, because I, it, it wouldn't make any sense. I never thought to leave. Well, and if you, the word I keep thinking of as I'm listening to you is, is loyalty. Yeah. You're, you're loyal to God. You're loyal to who you are, and that doesn't mean you ever have to question that. You can, you can continue being loyal, especially if it's an eternal relationship with your sister or with God. And, yeah. And I appreciate that balance with your heart and your head and that it it doesn't always have to be leaning one way or the other sometimes it's easier than others um so my sister is is a wonderful wonderful person and she's a lot like me We're, we're educated we work hard and and we're driven and we do a lot of things similarly i've got some other members of my family my younger my youngest brother is one um who lives a totally different lifestyle. And so to love him in the same way um, is is a lot harder. Maybe loving isn't, well, treating him with charity, I guess. I can love him in my heart, but having those actions and those warm thoughts to him is just, can be a little bit harder sometimes because of the the choices that he's made and the, the hurt that he's caused. So sometimes it's easier than others to to right. let people live their life and make the choices that they want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that. But there's, there's nuance there. It's the gray area. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself, your heart and your head. I appreciate it a lot. You're welcome.